the Geopolitics and Empire podcast is joined by Hugo Trier, who is a civil and nuclear engineer and podcast host. Welcome to Geopolitics and Empire, Hugo. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, we, we recently found each other uh, online and um, I, I like a lot of what Hugo has been doing on his, his Substack and he's got an Odyssey channel and he covers a number of topics. Um, he recently wrote about geopolitics um, uh, on Kil for Killette. Uh, the new great game, and he often write, writes articles with uh, an author that I just also discovered, Joel Kotkin, uh, The Coming of Neo, Neo uh, Feudalism, the book I haven't yet read. Uh, and you touch also on we're going to be getting into HIV, AIDS, and, and COVID, um, and then, you know, a bunch of other topics. So uh, your, your piece that's pinned on your Substack is called uh, You Were Right, President Tabo Mbeki, if I pronounced that right, yep. uh, on how you no longer believe. Um, HIV causes AIDS and that what we have experienced with COVID-19 is essentially the same fraud being played out. Uh, years ago, I watched a documentary called House of Numbers uh, that attempted to look into this. Um, it's been years since I've seen that. and But what, from what I can recall, the documentary still left me with more questions than answers. For me, it never clear, clearly came to a conclusion, but maybe I need to go rewatch it. Um, but you also write that no, no disease has gripped the South African psyche more than the acquired immune deficiency syndrome AIDS. Mm -hmm. um, and from what I gather, it seems that the real th threat is always, it's, it's the cure that they are always trying to sell us and not the disease. So you yeah. know, could, could you help us kind of understand what's going on with HIV, AIDS, and so then you, when we can see we start, them. We, we start with HIV. Um, it's There's two phases of the epidemic, if I can put it that way, two great waves. You know. um, HIV was discovered among gay men in the United States um, in the 1980s, very early 1980s. It used to be called GRIT, um, Gay um, Acquired Immunodeficiency. Um, and then obviously I changed to AIDS because you didn't want to associate that with the gay men. But all these gay men at the time were doing party drugs, were doing lots of party drugs. It happened in a certain cohort of gay men in San Francisco. Now, you must take into account this was after the um, liberate, gay liberation came out. So nobody could criticize gay lifestyle in the public. You know, you were a bigot, a homophobe if you did so. But what was obvious is that these gay men had a lifestyle where they would party day in and out, night on day, and take a drugs uh, to, you know, get the high and... Um, have lots of sex and one of the drugs they use was poppers it is a drug that gives them a um it's a sort of like an aphrodisiac during sex it also gives lets you uh, last a night in and out anyway so um these men taking the drugs were um getting lymph swollen lymph nodes you know the AIDS type symptoms but nobody was looking at the drugs at the time right they wanted it to be a virus <laughs> which was the interesting one. Then in France, there was a guy by the name of Luc Montagnier, it's a very important character, he died a few months ago, who discovered a virus, a retrovirus. Okay. Now comes 1983. It's election year. These gay men are dying. They're protesting. They're knocking on Fauci's door. They want something to be done. Uh, the US government doesn't know what to do. But also it's election year. Ronald Reagan, being from California, does not want the Democrats to make... Um, AIDS a campaign issue. So they find the solution one year beforehand. Okay, that's the conspiracy. Um, and the guy who found it was a guy by the name of Robert Gallo. He, uh, they announced a press conference and they said the probable cause of AIDS has been found. And this is a retrovirus. And Robert Gallo discovered the retrovirus. Okay. It happened to be that this retrovirus had the same genome, exact same genome as the guy in France. Now that's impossibility. No two viruses have the same genome. 
Um, so it happens to be that he just stole the results from the guy in France. <laughs> and he basically uh, said this is the probable cause of AIDS without the drug hypothesis ever being taken into account. So that is how the AIDS sort of first started. Now, uh, the gay community figured this out on their own. Um, they realized that, look, these drugs have serious side effects. And that's why you find AIDS among gay men is no longer really an issue. But as AIDS was found, uh, was discovered, if you will, this virus was said to be the cause of the disease, money started throwing to the problem. Okay, so now when you're uh, throwing money at the problem, you sit with this uh, General Eisenhower's last quote, where he said, we must be, um, you know, very skeptical of public policy does not become captive of a scientific technocratic elite. And what he meant by that is as soon as you've identified a problem and you throw money into it, it's no longer about science. It is about how much money, how much industry gets. They were developing AIDS medications. There's a hell of a list of AIDS medications at the moment. All of that for a disease which was actually caused by the drugs. Um, so the sad part is um, Fauci. There was a so these gay men had a um, disease or they had a type of pneumonia which they suffered from, a pneumocystis pneumonia, and you could easily have treated this with a drug by the name of Bactrim. It's a type of antibiotic. Um, but Fauci blocked the rollout of the medication for two years, and he repurposed a drug by the name of AZT. Now, AZT was so toxic that the inventor didn't bother to patent it. Um, it used to be developed as a, chemo a chemotherapy. Um, basically, what it does is a DNA terminator. It kills all life. Right Now, if you know HIV, um, they test you with what is called the CD4 count. That is just to see if your CD4 cells have, have fallen below. Um, they also test you for using the PCR test. We can get into that. That's why Kerry Mullis was an AIDS skeptic. Um, but long story short is AZT caused AIDS. Um, so now we test people positive using false positive tests. They're all taking drugs. okay? So they will test positive. And now we give them a medication by the name of AZT. And we're actually killing them. And now AIDS cases explode. And now it's a pandemic. okay? And that was the initial um, wave of the AIDS case. The second one was AIDS in Africa. Now, AIDS in the United States and Western Europe has got a completely different definition than AIDS in Africa. Okay, that should make, put a red flag on. Why does the same virus give different <laughs> symptoms on two different populations? So if a black South African flies to America, I use the word black here specifically, and he tests for AIDS, he would be cured, technically. Open border policy can cure AIDS. And the same, so, you know, or black American or white American, doesn't matter. The point is that the definition is entirely different. You know, are we really that genetically distinct that the same virus is going to give us different symptoms? No. So what did they do with AIDS in, in Africa? These were all diseases of poverty and malnutrition, right? And they started calling it AIDS, testing people positive, very poor people. Um, if you have some of those diseases, such as tuberculosis, for example, which is rampant in many places in Africa, uh, leprosy, you will test positive. You will have a higher rate of false positivity in the AIDS test. So now we take somebody that's very poor and we give them AZT and we kill them, actually. So this is a massive scale, I would almost call it genocide, that has been occurring since the 1980s. A message from our sponsors. The Nomos app will help you survive COVID-1984 and the Great Reset. Nomos is a time bank that can be used by communities anywhere in the world. You just need to talk people into using it. For example, if you go to your barber for a 30-minute haircut, your barber receives 30 minutes in his time bank. He can then use that time to pay for an appointment with the doctor. I've spoken to the developer who is passionate about creating solutions for surviving and thriving in the apocalypse. Nomos is available in both English and Spanish. 
Hurry and visit nomos.net before they roll out the cashless society and put you in the algorithm ghetto. Also, if you need health insurance that covers you wherever you may roam, check out my friend James Guzman's Borderless Health Insurance. One of the great things about living internationally is saving money on health care, but private care overseas can be expensive. Go to borderlesshealthinsurance.com to watch a short presentation on expat and digital nomad healthcare and sign up for a free consultation to review your options. Geopolitics and Empire needs funding. You can leave a donation, book a consultation, or become a member, which gets you access to my brief weekly commentary, a monthly newsletter of my thoughts, a private telegram, a monthly members group call, and my second premium broadcast called Dissident Thinker, where I conduct interviews and provide solo analysis. Dissident Thinker is also available on Rockfin and for supporters on Locals. As you were saying, like, it seems like there's no such thing as, as HIV. Uh, and then if we liken it to COVID-19, it's, it's simply, you know, a misdiagnosis. They're saying it's one thing when in reality is completely something else. Uh, and if we just compare also to the last two years with COVID, we've seen people say die of cancer or other ailments that they've already had. And we've been told that, that it was COVID or hospital protocols, uh, which have killed people. Uh, and then they, um, they have been declared to have uh, died from COVID. And, you know, as well as the vaccines, I know people who have died from the vaccines and I don't know. I know other people who know people who have died from vaccines. So again, it's the, it's the, 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 the fraud is the fraud is the test. Um, the test is not specific to a virus. It cannot test for a virus. It's impossible. Test for a tiny fragment of a DNA segment. That thing can mismatch with a lot of things. Um, the antibody tests are even worse. You know, AIDS and COVID have these antibody tests. They're non-specific. So you have a test. The basis is this. You have a test that cannot test for what you're doing. So anything that follows, any data that is generated, um, it's completely bogus. My view of COVID is they rebranded flu. I, I don't think there's a gain of function research, nothing. They just took flu, res seasonal respiratory diseases. They test people to will test positive using the antibody test. Have you ever asked yourself, what is the test for flu? It's also a PCR test, right? What is the test for, do you have, have you ever had an antibody test for flu? I've never had it. And if you look at the stats in France, it's very interesting. I mean, last year with COVID, um, there was zero flu. Okay, so either the flu went on holiday take a two-year break, and now it's coming back as soon as, you know, Omricon appears, or it's self-deception. And I think there's a lot of self-deception. But you see, the problem with AIDS and with COVID and uh, hepatitis was similar, swine flu. Once the media story starts rolling, people start believing it. I mean, it's the Goebbels propaganda thing. And they, it, they, they, they look for COVID everywhere. It's, it's, it's similar with global warming, by the way. As soon, you know, in, anything of this sort where Every day it's on repeat, it's on repeat, and they show you the numbers. Today is the cases, then it's the deaths, then it's the hospitalization, then it's R0. doesn't matter the statistic. It's always a scary statistic. But nobody's asking the basic question, what does the test tell you? If the test doesn't work, it doesn't work. Point. I, I did two years of laboratory testing. I worked in a, in a materials testing laboratory. Um, the first thing you do with a test is you have to validate and calibrate it. Right? You have to have a reference sample. There is no reference for COVID. There is no purified COVID virus. There is no purified AIDS virus. Um, so if you don't have a reference in a test, your test is based on BS. Um, and yeah, that's unfortunately what we've seen. Yeah, you referenced Denny Rancourt in your article. I've interviewed him yeah. twice. And um, I, I pretty much, again, I've been oscillating between the two uh, theories um, with that it doesn't exist. That it's well, either way, we're not in a pandemic by definition. In my view, they've changed yeah. the definition. So Whichever way you, you know, whether it's you think it's a bioweapon or it's just a big nothing burger, 
we were not in a pandemic by definition. And then I've been, you know, I've been considering the bioweapon angle, but it seems I'm, I tend to be sticking with the Denny Rancourt and, and your version that it's it's just a one giant false flag. Um, but well, then I'll, I'll show you this on bioweapons. Um, I did research on the apartheid regime's biological weapons. They cooperate with the Americans. Most of it's a fraud. Um, if you think about it, biological weapons are utterly useless in a war. Um, why? You need a vaccine, theoretically, or you need some antidote to use it. This is why I'm very skeptical of this Ukraine story as well. Yes, there might be labs, but I don't think there's there's anything um, serious about it. Biological weapons are only effective in agriculture. If you poison the food supply, yeah, you can kill a lot of people. But uh, um, a few anthrax here and there or, or this and that, I don't think that'll do much. Um, again, the basis is there is no test. I will believe COVID exists if you can show me a test that can that is properly calibrated. But they have not purified the virus. Um, if you cannot purify a virus, you don't have anything. You need to go back to the basics first. So is this a bioweapon? I think the real bioweapon is the medication that they're selling. And that's what's quite clear from AIDS. Um, AZT, which is enormously toxic um, uh, um, medication. And by the way, there are other um, uh, AIDS uh, medications these days. They actually got rid of AZT because they realized this thing is toxic. Um but yeah, that is the million or billion dollar industry. You you have an entire population that is constantly testing positive, and now you can sell the medication. You can essentially harvest them, right? That is the bioweapon. And where this thing got dodgy to me is to see how the AIDS story, as the COVID story, has been used for regime changes. Um, I'm quite convinced now that Tom Becky was forced out of power by the CIA um, in South Africa. He said they were after him. Um, I'm quite convinced that in during COVID, Tanzania's Magafuli, um, who questioned the PCR test as well, was forced out of power. Um, so, you know, this is uh, this is another way of changing regimes. As you create a scary virus story, then you use the media against the own population, against the leader, if you will, and you force them out of power. And just to go back to the bioweapons thing, the thing that just uh, of interest to me, I, I could agree with you again. I'm not an expert, mm -hmm. but it, for me, it makes sense what you said about the, 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 the bioweapons. Just the one thing that gets me is we've seen that for the past decades, like the past 20 years, that the intelligence, military, scientific intelligence community have, have been doing all these pandemic simulations and stuff and, and yeah. lab stuff. And so, uh, and then now it's, it's started to get traction in the, in the mainstream media, this bioweapon story, which as you said, clearly can be a misdirection, but then what, what, what do you think, why have they been focusing, putting so much money and effort into bioweapon stuff, the government, is it because they have earnestly trying to be, to, to create something of it? And you say that not much can come of it, or is it a distraction? Like what's your take on why they, put so much money and effort into bio gain of function well, stuff. The, 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 I mean, gain of function. I, I don't even know if making a virus is possible. I, I, I don't think so. So um, I think there's a dogma. There's a lot of this, there's dogma that viruses cause disease and it's deeply entrenched. Um, I take the view that most disease are toxicological phenomenon. So if you're going to try and look for um, viruses all over and the way they look for these viruses is, I mean, it's very bogus when you go into it. There's no standardization for Petri cells, for example. Um, so, yeah, I, I think they definitely believe that these are bioweapons. If I think a guy's, I'm not sure if Fauci believes it, um, but definitely the doctors and the people around them, I think they believe that, you know, this is biological research and are we going to use to untap nature, to try and get medications, get ahead of nature. There's, there's certainly this type of belief. Whether or not they're actually producing anything, I don't think so.
I mean, when I looked into the apartheid regimes one, there was a guy by the name of Walter Basson, who was sort of the South African um, biological weapons expert. Most thing they could achieve was making ecstasy, you know, to try and get people looked up on drugs. Um, they had a bit of anthrax and a bit of biological weapons, but it was never something sophisticated. And if that is anything to go off by, I think a lot of this is just money laundering, um, you know. So uh, there's also a psychological aspect of a biological or bioweapon. So if I put a, web, a lab in China or a lab in uh, Ukraine, for example, I would be able to create fear in the future, you know, saying something leaked there. But whether I, I don't see much evidence that there is a new virus circulating, and I don't see much evidence for anything going back all the way to AIDS. Um, what I do see is a media-generated virus, um, and that is what people are reacting to. Yeah, in your article, you mentioned um, this again, uh, AIDS drug AZT, which it targets apparently DNA synthesis, and yeah. um, you know, you said one doctor described it as incompatible with life, basically poison. And again, we've got these mRNA COVID vaccines. You know, why are they always trying to mess? With our DNA, that's kind of odd. Yeah, that's a there's a eugenic story behind that, um, undoubtedly. Um, there is there is a little bit of eugenics in these guys' thinking. They are obsessed with genes. Now, I have read alternative theories on genes, which sort of claims that DNA is not what we think we are. I'll give you the explain to you this way: is you know, humans and mice share ninety nine percent of our genome, um, but if you change one percent of a mouse, I don't think you're going to turn it into a human. So, you know, is, is DNA really the basis building block of life? And, you know, it, it runs with this transhumanist ideology, all these things. Um, I think fundamentally it's the search for immortality. Um, you know, that is sort of all the rich people ever. They, they cannot escape the fact that they're going to die one day. So they're trying to improve nature. Now, if you actually look at the impact of modern medicine, it's very interesting. Um, most of life expectancy did not come because of modern medicine. I think modern medicine is a book by uh, Robert uh, Gordon called The End of American Growth. And he showed that modern medicine only contributed to 3% of modern life expectancy. So what they are doing is I think they are chasing down diminishing returns. And in the process, they're doing enormous harm. Um, I, I don't think, um, I mean, AZT was obviously a poison. There was suspicion that Fauci used it to take out political op opponents. Um, you know, taste positive, take this pill, and then I can kill you. Um, and there's also a suspicion that if you can make African populations dependent on these medications, you redirect a great part of the um, health budget, of the national budget. Um, the South African Minister of Health at the time was Mantu Shabalala Mesimang. She was very skeptical of the HIV and AIDS story. And she, I spoke to one of her advisors when I re just researched this, and he said to me, her view was it would have bankrupted the South African economy if we did what the United States wanted us to do. So that to me is the bioweapon. The bioweapon is making a country economically dependent on another on your medication, basically. And then also you poisoning their population. That's a big market. You know? So you don't see it as anything else than a money laundering scheme. I, I saw recently the Rockefeller Foundation tweets and, and Big Pharma that um, like only 1%, some very t minuscule percentage of uh, af the African continent have taken these uh, vaccines. And it seems yes. like that Africans are not buying it, whether maybe the, the HIV AIDS story or yeah. the, the, the COVID. Uh, I mean, is that true? Do most people, are most people yeah, there most people, I mean, look, South Africa is an interesting place. First of all, if, um, if your first fear in life is survival and food, 
Um, you don't give a damn about the virus. <laughs> um, but yeah, Africa isn't dying. I mean, by the way, anti-malarials are also widely used throughout Africa. Um, you know, we know hydroxychloroquine works against respiratory diseases. I took it as a child. You know, when they said it was dangerous, I thought to myself, but this is something my mother would give us, you know, on a regular basis. How the hell can this be dangerous? So um, there's a lot of skepticism in Africa towards doctors in general. I mean, with the AIDS story, so I'll show you what happened to explain how it hits South Africa. Nelson Mandela was president. Was towards, it was after the end of apartheid. Um, and political pressure was building on Mandela to take HIV and AIDS serious. Seriously. Now, Mandela achieved a lot of things, but he said this was not one for him. He, he just thought it was, uh, you know, they, he was 73, I think, at the time. And he said, you know, I'll give it to my deputies. So he gave it to Tom Mbeki, who was vice president at the time. And uh, Mbeki got obsessed with this story. He went onto the internet and he went onto the website Virus Myth that everyone should look into. And he started reading stuff written by Kerry Mullis. And it was like, but this thing doesn't add up. What is wrong over here? And he got so obsessed that eventually he invited these experts. So he had a, a presidential panel, uh, which was in Pretoria, I think the year 2000. And he invited, you know, pro and against AIDS people. And I think he actually had more people in favor of the AIDS hypothesis than against. And very quickly, as he started digging into it, he realized this all things are hoax. Right. So he was then labeled as the AIDS denialist. <laughs> in south africa so denial as soon as they start using denialists or conspiracy theories or anything of this sort that those labels you know they're onto something um it was said that he killed a quarter of a million people uh, those were based on um population projections so they they used the south african deaths towards the end of apartheid and it's true that the deaths do peak but there was a correction during the apartheid years black people did not have the deaths registered so there was a correction in the data. So if you correct for the data, you find out that AIDS only killed something like 70,000 people over five years in South Africa, the so-called deadly pandemic, right? So the, the skepticism of the South African population to this thing was enormous. They would get tested, people would give them AZT, and their loved ones would die. And many would just stop taking their medication. The government would give them AIDS grants. This was an interesting. And they would test positive, get the AIDS grant, and never buy the medication. And make sure they go back so they would leech off the system you know it's sort of uh, there's an incentive structure to the system but you know when COVID came um south africans very quickly were onto this thing and i think a lot of them had memories from aids they never, nobody said it but um if you look at south africa's i think vaccination rate i think our efficacy is negative at the moment because people just stopped taking it they just threw a metal finger to this thing and said there's no ways we're going to take it and this virus is a bunch of nonsense I'm, I might move to Africa. <laughs> I've already known a few people. Uh, I, I've been in contact with some people who are actually, you know, moving to Africa. And so um, it's funny. I did that interview with Dr. Paul Craig Roberts a few months ago, and he was saying his friend like uh, moved to Africa, and he said like, "There's no COVID here. No one's even talking about it." He's like, yeah. "What are you guys talking about? <laughs> like, it's it's nothing, nothing." So um, South Africa, there's I mean, people were wearing masks and stuff. Um, so there was a bit of this fear story. I was in the nature reserve, the Kruger National Park, um, beginning of last year with my wife, and um, people were wearing masks in the nature reserve, in the middle of nowhere. You know, so there's some of the stupidity going on. It's not entirely away with it. But then, I mean, you take a country like Malawi, there's one hospital, I think, in the whole country, one or two hospitals. So flatten the curve doesn't make sense from the beginning there is no there is no hospital curve to flatten right. So um, I, I, I just think that they they had a little bit of. Um, more insight today. The other thing that Africans do very well, when there is an outbreak of disease, um, look, there's lots of tropical diseases, especially countries north of South Africa. 
Um, the first thing you need to do when there is a disease, you need to treat people ASAP. So the disease doesn't spread. You know, that's the, the theory. Um, and many African countries like Gabon, like Senegal, I've written about this as well, um, actually use hydroxychloroquine. And they said, well, this thing controls the epidemic. Why do I need why, why do I why do I why do I need a vaccine? You know? Mess with um, your DNA, right? <laughs> yeah, this and the other thing is, I mean, there's no full electrification. Forty percent of Africa still uses food, uh, um, charcoal to burn their homes. How are you going to find the guys? You know, where's your five G smart city? <laughs> That's another good reason to move to Africa. You can't find me. <laughs> you get, they are they, <laughs> on the, there is on the no, grid. There is no population statistics in some places. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the African population made me proud. Look, I'm staying in Paris and people were crazy over here. And I was quite proud of what happened in Africa. I was in the Middle East last year as well in Iran. They, they had a similar attitude. The, the, the elites here were scared of this thing. But when you go to those markets and look, most of the Middle East, they still trade face to face. They were going on as if life is normal. Not even the police were wearing masks at the time. Um, and, and that's the other problem in Africa is that a lot of the trade is hand-to-hand trade. You know, you're taking somebody's livelihood away when you tell them to go home. Um, some people don't have a home. You know, in Johannesburg, it was interesting. They were telling people, go home. And the guy's like, but I'm homeless. Where do I go? Where do I? You know, so th- there is no way to control this thing. I, I want to get back to something you, you, you comment to me, commented to me uh, that in 1999, Bill Clinton signed the National Security Memorandum making AIDS a CIA issue. CIA and AIDS, what's going on here? Yeah, event 201, right? That's the type of thing that's going on over here. Um, this is a way to eliminate enemies, enemies of the states, basically. So there were a lot of people who spoke out against HIV and AIDS. Um, people like South Africa's Sam Schlongo. He was the only professor in the country who supported the president. Most, most of South Africa's elite, by the way, was against the president, the doctors and nurses. But he studied in the UK. He was fighting the apartheid years. And he came back. Well, he died in a car accident. Um, you know, and I spoke to his family researching this and they said, you know, it's always crossed our minds. How did this car accident happen? Nobody investigated the scene of the crime, uh, that type of thing. So you had in America, there was a woman by the name of Christine McGuire. She was an outspoken AIDS critic. She tested positive in the 90s realized this thing doesn't work and then became a sort of a, a, a conduit, a voice for lots of people. She died, um, you know, conveniently, and they, they suspected she was poisoned. So what you find is that enemies of AIDS just magically disappeared. Um, and if you look at the profile in uh, YouTube uh, on Wikipedia, it says to you they were conspiracy theorists or they were, um, you know, people were skeptical of the AIDS or of a death, but this is a conspiracy theory, that type of thing. So what does the CIA do about this? Well, they love disease like they love war. They like The CIA does good ATAS principally. That is the job. So if they can use any issue to instigate the regime change, and if they can use a pandemic doing it, they will do so. Uh, we saw, didn't we see like the president of Tanzania and a few others that um, were against all of this and th- they yeah. mysteriously died uh, of COVID as well? Not just them, like a number of the people in the administration are, are around them. No? Same thing. Yeah, they, they died. Um, president of, uh, I think, um, Haiti as well. There were a few African leaders who died, but now you must take into account, you know, if something like this happens in an African country, um, there's always a guy that wants to kill the president. You know, so is it the CIA or is it just um, political opposition? You know, I, I, I don't know. But it's very convenient that the guy of Tanzania, who was a chemist, by the way, and who realized this PCR test was nonsense. So he tested a goat, I think, with the PCR test in a purple, and they tested positive. And he said, no, what is this test? These two objects test positive, you know. 
And well, he died a few months later and, and his deputy took over. And the first thing she did was open the country for mining investment. Right. That is very suspicious. Tom Bakey, when he had his AIDS panel, they wanted to broadcast the thing um, to South Africa Live, the video. It was never broadcasted except on the South African Broadcasting Co uh, Corporation. Never broadcasted to an international audience. There was CIA thugs who broke up the meeting and caused a fight as the thing started, like special doctors. So, you know, Clinton signed that thing and it became an issue, a national security issue. We need to fight disease, right? And there's nothing that the, the military industrial complex loves more than a danger. In the, the, um, so, yeah, it's uh, it, it, it makes sense from the point of view, if you want to control the world, that you will find any issue which is scary to try and instigate regime changes that serve your geopolitical in interests. And AIDS and COVID were issues that are very similar to this. I mean, with COVID, we are seeing that we are decoupling from China. Um, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that the CIA is involved with that. There's no doubt. Yeah, and um, I have a feeling that as you outline what they were doing in the <coughs> 80s and 90s, that back then they were setting, like they wanted to create this new biosecurity technocratic paradigm and that I, I think it's related HIV and COVID. You cite Neville Hodgkinson, a former scientific correspondent of the Sunday Times, who raised uh, suspicion when he wrote that COVID-19 tricks were pioneered during the HIV AIDS pandemic. Um, I mean, obviously, there's the profit motive, but I I have a more cynical view that, you know, that this is all part of a longer term sinister agenda of elites, uh, with, you know, it factors in the CIA for their global coups, as Robert Kennedy has outlined that this is a global coup against basically all nations. But like, do you think what they were doing in the 80s and 90s was the beginning of a longer term project that, you know, now is COVID, you know, maybe if it wasn't COVID today, it would have been some other variation, but that it was like a longer term agenda to put into this, put us into this biosecurity yeah. paradigm. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, how much of this is an emergent phenomenon and how much of it is planned? And I think it's a combination of both. Did Fauci and them in the 80s think that they would launch COVID today and have a biosecurity state when the internet was still not mature? I don't think so. Um but of course, as the technology came with time, they realized they can use this as an issue to serve a variety of interests. And one interest is the biosecurity interest. I mean, the idea that we're all on a digital population grid, you all have an ID number. I mean, you can see how that with your vaccine record that allows you to, you know, to, to, to go to certain areas or not can be allowed to control you. Um, it, it's very similar to me to what happened in climate change. Um, you know, climate change was this, was an opportunistic presentation to Congress in 1989. And the guy who climbed onto it was a guy by the name of uh, Mark Oppenheimer, who worked for the Environmental Defense League. And he realized, you know, not at the time, but he quickly realized that if you control CO2, you control the energy policy. If you control a country's energy, I mean, that's a significant control. Now, it's very similar to AIDS. If you control the healthcare of a country and the vaccine records uh, and the medication that they sell, you've got enormous control over them. So it all it, it serves the var a variety of interests, and um, yeah, as soon as this thing was picked up by the CIA and the biosecurity network, um, you know, I, I think it was the beginning of a new evil. I don't think it it was the intention in the eighties. I might be wrong on that. Um, what I know was the intention. The National Institute of, of Health and Infectious Diseases was about to be closed down by Ronald Reagan because America had very few diseases. Then they found AIDS, and it was the gold mine for Fauci and them. And, you know, the thing with the AIDS thing is it's the same people. 
you know, 80s. It's the exact same people by name who's behind COVID as behind AIDS. And the first people who knew that COVID was nonsense were the guys who were skeptical of AIDS. They got the word out that the PCR test doesn't work. They got the word out that the medication is going to be toxic, etc. Um, so it's the same playbook that is being repeated. And, you know, if a playbook works to control something, to control the world, why do you, why do you want to change it? Yeah, and maybe just to <clears throat> go on this tangent, which you just mentioned that in the 80s, it was just HIV, AIDS, profits, you know, death, depopulation, yeah. eugenics, whatever you want to call it. But now we have this biosecurity techno technocratic aspect, which they're trying to build on and expand to create this global digital gulag. And, you know, I, I've, I'm always reiterating on this podcast right now, the number one thing that I'm afraid of, you know, forgetting all of the other issues, you know, <laughs> even narcos here in, where I live in Mexico is, is this digital passport control uh system and you know it's it's being built uh, behind the scenes like recently they relaxed a lot of stuff but i can still see them behind you know behind the curtain working on these yeah. digital passports we got the who pandemic um the eu is you know it continues to work on this digital passport which will control every aspect uh, of your life and they've they've used COVID as the pretext to get us into this and there's you know a critical mass of people that are buying into this which is what which is what they need i mean what are your thoughts and fears regarding this social credit digital passport system given that you also work in civil engineering and so you also have an understanding of how th how this would function yeah i i don't think it's workable in the long run um I might be wrong on that, but I mean, the apartheid regime, the start of South Africa, it's probably more relevant here, had a system like this, a passport. It was called a pass, right? That the black population had to wear and they had to carry it along and it had the record of the uh, bosses, the record of their tribe. And if they went into a city and uh, they didn't match with what the authorities felt, they were kicked out, right? This was during the apartheid years. So this, by the way, is another reason why South Africa is a country to watch for the vaccine passport. This is nothing more than the apartheid era Donbass. Like, let's call it for what it is. Um, you know, identification is an enormously dangerous um, thing for a civil liberties perspective. Whether it works to control people, I, I have my doubts. And, and the reason is how well, the apartheid regime came, uh, came to collapse was people just had civil disobedience against this law. You couldn't enforce it. Um, I mean, my father was working on apartheid on the building sites in South Africa at the time. They had job reservations. So black population had an ID. And on their ID, they could say what job they could do and what they couldn't do. Right. So, for example, if somebody were to put in electrical plugs, the black person could pull the wires in the wall, but only a white person could fix the plug. So it was utterly stupid. And what happened in practice, people just said to the black guy, look, just fix the plug and I'll sign off. Right. I'll corrupt the system. And small corruptions like that made the apartheid regime collapse. So the guys pushing this have got no sense of history. There you have a country, which is a case study of how an identification system collapses. My brother, by the way, was in China. He was, he was traveling, he was teaching and traveling throughout the country. There's a lot of corruption in China with the social credit system. So what this will dissolve to in practice is you're going to end up with mafias and people breaking the laws and things of this sort. I don't see this work in the long run. I don't see a social credit system. I think the people pushing it have got ideological hubris. You know, they think it's going to work. They want it to work, and they are running full speed ahead of this. But how it's going to work in practice, I have my doubts. Um, I just, I mean, just to take the smart cities for example, you need a major surveillance infrastructure to make this thing work. Okay, so you need cameras, you need all these things. Now, 
just to electrify the UK, you need to dig up more cob- more copper than has been digged up in the last uh, 100 years combined. Okay, you need to dig that up in 20 years. This is a mission impossible type of thing. So I am not worried. I, I am worried about it because, you know, it's, it's in the short term, it will infringe on civil liberties and stuff. But I think I have faith in humans um, breaking the law on a ground level. I mean, if they try and pass a, a digital uh, a bank, what do you call this thing, central bank digital currency? Well, go to Iran. Um, in Iran, everyone is buying gold okay? because they have hyperinflation. The currency doesn't mean anything. So everyone buys gold and they start using that as a university savings for people you know, when, when they go to university or whatever they want their savings to be used for. So you're going to see a lot of these type of schemes and people on an individual level, I think, will push back against it. There you go, everyone. Good news. You know, there's there's <laughs> there's some hope, uh, optimism. I still might move to Africa. Uh, even, you know, you, we don't know what other rabbit they're going to pull out of, uh, out of a hat. Um, I also wanted to talk about the censorship issue. You know, you were detailing yeah. how back in the 80s and 90s, one could not question HIV causing AIDS. This complete and utter shutdown of inquiry for me is is telling, uh, whether it's back then or, or, or today. It's, uh, you it's know, and we're seeing Fauci that. With, stuff started there. Um, I mean, this is where... Fauci, look, Fauci obviously made connections with the intelligence agencies. And the person you should look at here is a guy by the name of Peter Duisburg. He was a professor in molecular biology at the University of California. And he wrote a book called Inventing the AIDS Virus. Peter Duisburg's funding was taken away. He was completely silenced. If he wanted to appear on a radio show or a TV show, Fauci was there the next morning, one of his guys to stop it. Like the amount of money they have placed into the into managing information is quite sophisticated. Um, and yeah, you cannot question it. If you question, you're either the nihilist or conspiracy theorist. I mean, okay. Um, or they just kept on ignoring you, which is even worse. It's that silence, you know, put you in a shadow band type of thing. So, you know, if Duisburg went on a radio, he couldn't do so. Um, but yeah, all the people who questioned AIDS paid an enormous price. They lost their jobs. Um, they were threatened by the employers. And it all came from Fauci downwards. Um, you could not be a universe, work at any university and question this thing. If you did that, you either got killed or they took your funding away. And the funding is very well controlled by the National Institute of Infectious Diseases. So, you know, you centralize the control of funding and then you centralize information. And if you want to publish in a journal that you dispute AIDS, there's been a few um, publications that got through. Very quickly, they withdrawn afterwards. And they're like, no, this is wrong. So, you know, that's how the science has been centered. So it's not about science anymore. It's about, um, you know, controlling a narrative. Yeah. You know, I, I, I um, studied my graduate. Uh, I studied at the Geneva School of Diplomacy. I got my master's in international relations. I taught at one of the best institutions here uh, in Mexico as an adjunct professor and high school teacher. And some, you know, I'm glad I got out of that space. I'm, I'm not saying, you know, people shouldn't be <laughs> participating um, in that space. But, you know, people ask me if I want to get a phd or doctorate i'm like for what you know what's the purpose if i'm just going to be blacklisted like look at the university here i've had my classes taken away from me because of my non-conformist teaching when i was in switzerland i met people who you know who were completely black i met imerick chaprad who who um was one of the top french geopolitics guys and um because of his controversial views he was completely illegally completely blacklisted from teaching in france or in switzerland and so it's like why would i even want to get you, you can't do honest scientific inquiry uh, anymore. And then we have to form, I think, as has been the case throughout history, form parallel academic intellectual uh, structures, which the podcast is now. And I'm actually reaching 
many more students. I'm teaching more people through the podcast by far than ever, you know, in, in the classes. Yeah. And so, no, no I, I mean, it's it, look, I mean, it's, it's the Galileo thing, right? It's the paradigm change. You're not allowed to go against the grain. You're only allowed to debate within the parameters of the debate. Um, but as soon as you try and challenge the fundamental dogma, um, you know, they, they will go after you. Um, there's, there's a good article by David Resnick, who was the eight, um, one of the eight skeptics, and he called it the tyranny of dogma. And he has shown um, how it's, it's not just AIDS, by the way, it's cancer as well. Um, you know, we know now that the um, mitochondrial uh, imbalance theory of cancer should be looked into it, but there's no money for it. Everything is into genes. Right. So if the money, and, and this is the problem, the money sort of directs the research, right? There's a few guys who approve the research. And over time, you know, interesting questions, interesting inquiries are just shut down. And if you, you know, how are you going to get funding? How are you going to get funding if you want to test whether the H hypothesis is valid, given that there's a multi-billion dollar industry sitting, you know, hinging on that dogma? It's, it's impossible. Um, it's the same thing with climate change. It's the same thing with, I mean, as you say, international relations. They will blacklist you. They will kick you out of the tribe. And my advice to people just is if they do that, just find and uh, find something else. You know, try and, uh, and uh, you don't stay in a, in a, in a church that, that doesn't welcome you anymore. Yeah, exactly. Find, um, like I said, I found uh, this podcast to be able to continue doing what I'm doing. Find some other, you know, maybe you can find a job in an unrelated field and then be able to continue <coughs> your line of uh, research uh, uh, apart. And um, I guess what else was I going to say? I was just going to add a comment on this um, not be this shutdown of, of free speech, you know, and it's also today, it's also not just in the media, but with our, our own. Uh, friends, you know, if we try to question whether COVID-19 qualifies as a pandemic or whether it even exists, the word denialist, as you say, is instrumentalized. In fact, recently I had a dear fr Mexican friend here uh, ask me, and, and my, my friend and I agree on most almost everything else, asked me if I was a negationist when it comes to COVID. And it's like, you know, in Spanish it's negacionista. Yeah, negacionista. And it's like, I'm like, if, if that's what you want to call me, I don't care. Go ahead. Like, it's like, yeah, I, I, I've but, looked but, but at can the, I, I, can he tell you what it is that you're denying? You know, and probably not. Um, so, I mean, it's just propaganda. I mean, it's a standard propaganda model um, to, you know, use pejoratives against people that question stuff. But I mean, I mean, I, I, I've spoken to Noam Chomsky about this on my podcast as well. I've, I've um, had a quite good relationship with him on this. You know, when he questioned Cambodia's genocide, he was questioning the numbers. You know, just the numbers. He said it wasn't as much as people thought. Um, ooh, you, you know, that's a genocide denialist. You know, he said it was hundreds of thousands, not millions. Now, hundreds of thousands can also be a genocide. Right. Um, you know, this thing is nothing new, I think. Um, this, most people, unfortunately, go with the flow. And they suck up propaganda the way it is. And, and I, I guess that is what we need to encourage is for people to, you know, become more aware of propaganda techniques. Um, if if you were aware of the AIDS pandemic, or if you were aware of, of September 11th and, and the war on terror, all the propaganda being used, you will be more resistant for the next trick that is coming, because you know there's only so many tricks they have up their sleeve. Um, another one for me is um, Ukraine. Now, I mean, look at Mariupol. There's serious questions being asked whether or not the Russians bombed the theater. You know, we don't know. It, it might be a false flag. It might not be. But just by 
questioning it, just by asking for the evidence, you are automatically a Putin bot or a Putin supporter, right? That's a new propaganda. So in a sense, you cannot win against it. But I just think that the more you go and speak out against the stuff, the thicker your skin becomes, um, you know, and uh, the better person I think you become at the end of the day. So, you know, if they if they want to continue throwing those pejoratives and slurs at you, it's it's for them to do so. I would totally agree that your skin be- becomes uh, thicker, you become a better person, you don't really care what these, uh, you know, whether useful idiots or evil people are are attacking you for. Um, and you mentioned Chomsky and as as la- as early as just, I think, December 2021, just a few months ago, yeah. he's been, he, I don't know how people can agree with him saying basically that the unvaccinated should be left for dead and even put into camps. What are your thoughts on his view on the COVID? Uh, not, COVID so vaccine? I asked him. I asked him about that um, afterwards. I, I he said to me in uh, we could say an email. Well, he doesn't think that they should be, um, you know, uh, lose their jobs or banned or something. But he does believe that there is a case to for false vaccination. So he's he's bought the narrative. Um, you know, I, I respect him too much to um, to hold that against him for one issue and that's the problem even experts on propaganda can fall for certain propaganda you know and you don't know if you and i will fall for it for for for, for it in the future but uh, my understanding of his stance has been that yeah he was against um he, there was a clip of him where he said that was their problem or something of the sort but when i spoke to him in, in private he said he understands that at least you know some groups and some minorities might have grievances given historical grounds you know so he's, he's lightened up a little bit about it um, but you know, it is what it is, you know, and, and and that's the other thing. I think there's also an element of forgiveness here. I don't hold it against people for falling for this propaganda because they were scared, they knew they were going to die, or they didn't have the expertise to go through it. It's it's just one of those things. I think this is a story that is now run its course, the COVID story. It's very close to it. Um, I think the the share price of Pfizer Moderna proves that to you. Uh, once when they got gone down, the politicians quickly changed their view. The popular opinion polls turned, turned against them. And hopefully it doesn't come back. But, um, you know, we're now in a new phase of propaganda, which is the Russian-Ukraine story. So, um, yeah. I think there's a good point to make about um, Chomsky that um, a lot of people in the alternative media, I see it in the comments and everything, just jumping like vicious attack dogs. And it's just like mm-hmm. real life is a bit more nuanced again. And yeah, also, if, if people, we have to have a forgiving uh, attitude as well. Is there any other... Uh, issue that you wanted to bring up that you know that i haven't raised no i, I guess just on the aid story um the, the the thing is if you if you read the article i have you will see that the aids pandemic i mean the case against it it's very similar to the COVID one you know model projections high case you know um models projecting lots of deaths that fall short of reality a virus being tested using a bio test um and then at the same time, medication being prepared to solve a problem which is probably non-existent, right? And that is sort of the the the, the playbook that is constantly at work here, which is the, it's the problem. You create an artificial problem, and then you propose the solution. And a lot of this, I think, is follow the money. A lot of the, you know, the conspiracy stuff, whatever, who benefits, you know, Q-Bono. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I would totally um, agree. Any final thought then? To leave us with, um, well, I hope we are out of the COVID story. It was quite hard for lots of people. I hope that um, uh, we will not have a repetition of this. I hope that a lot more people have woken up. I certainly have woken up against propaganda. I've never, 
um, expected it to be so deeply entrenched in society, in Western society. I, I, I thought, I still had the naivety that propaganda is something that happens in Nazi Germany and Soviet Union. And with COVID and, um, you know, even start, despite being a student of propaganda, I did a few courses on it. You know, I, I never saw it for what it was um, until COVID really came and how outright lying uh, people continues without outright lying. And again, you know, I can quote again Chomsky on this. The, 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 the uh, role of intellectuals must be to expose lies. Um, don't don't suck up a lie. Just say, I disagree with this. This is the story. I don't believe, for example, there was a COVID pandemic. I don't believe there's a, there is a um, AIDS pandemic. Um, and that means that what we've been doing for the last two years was an entire waste of time. We destroyed a lot of people's lives. That is the way it is, unfortunately. And we probably killed a lot of people using the mRNA vaccine. Okay, so that is the uncomfortable truth that I think even a lot of people on the, on the, on the independent media haven't swallowed yet, is that we just had a two years of destruction of life and property. And we can rebuild it, we can claim it, and I, I hope that more people stand up in the future um, when a trick like this is going to be played. It won't be a virus, you know. It will be a climate story, or it will be a Russia-Ukraine story, you know, whatever. Um, and then your first assumption should always be don't trust a single word that your government or media tells you. I think be skeptical against them. Yeah, and I would add that uh, even though I knew what COVID was from the very beginning, it's still their propaganda. This is a psychological war that they waged on us mm -hmm. affected me physically uh, and mentally like the yeah. first year because I got so angry, like physical, you know, physically, like shaking at all of these lies, and you know, it got me down and depressed. But, but you, you but know it, why? It, uh -huh. It's 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 a betrayal. Yeah, you, you feel betrayed, and uh, the betrayal anxiety is real. I think a lot of people in the Bina media suffer from paternal anxiety. But, you know, um, look, I'll explain this way. I grew up towards the end of apartheid. Okay, apartheid was dead uh, when I was four years old. So there were a lot of men, white men in particular in South Africa at the time, who felt betrayed by their government. You know, when the apartheid government ended, they had an all-white referendum. It's the last all-white vote, where the government said, let's vote if we should negotiate with the African National Congress. That vote was sold on the premise that the black majority will never take over the country. That was the lie being told. Two years later, that wasn't the case. Okay, As it happened, a lot of Afrikaners particularly felt enormously betrayed. And, you know, it was wrong apartheid. It could have ended differently. There's a lot of debate and discussion still within South Africa about it. Um, but I saw a lot of men around me, um, you know, growing up, who could not get over that. They could not move on from the fact that the African National Congress and Nelson Mandela won. Okay. And whether or not you can justify apartheid, you couldn't justify it anymore in the 80s or the 90s. Um, you know, they still had a lot of anxiety and there was a sense of wanting to live in the past while the new present was there. And the thing I say with COVID is try and move on. It happened, you know, people are betrayed, people are going to get got killed. The thankful that you did not die from the vaccines or from you know the, the stress induced by lockdown but you know there will be a time to move on there's going to be books written for the next 30 40 years about what happened and half of them will probably be false and there's no point i think in living with the resentment it's not gonna you know it's not it's not gonna stop what is the point at the end of the day is the question, you know, if you live with that resentment, just move, move on from it and focus on your career and your life. And, you know, doing what you're doing is great. I think there will be other issues to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to say, I, I got through that, through those phases. So I eventually like, 
got to that phase and not, you know, I'm, I'm not <laughs> stressed anymore. Uh, and as you said, I, I get people, a few people make stupid comments like, why don't you focus more on COVID? I'm like, this podcast is called Geopolitics and Empire. You know, it's not, it's not COVID and Empire. And it's like, yeah, there's times I deal with COVID. And, you know, we do, I spoke last week about Yemen. And let's talk about other topics besides just uh, COVID. And I would just also add, I was recently in, uh, visited rural Mexico. And as you said, like there, no one was really wearing masks. It's like, it's like yeah. life is normal. And it's like, I, I, I'm trying to I'm trying to get to rural uh, Mexico. <laughs> Where, where's the best place for people to follow uh, you and your work? Um, they can go on my Substack account. At, uh, I've put it there. I've got a, a channel on Odyssey. It's been a bit inactive for the last two months because thanks to Mr. Putin, I work in the energy sector. I've got lots of work. Yeah, there's always people making money out of a crisis. I'm one of them this time. Um, but yeah, so I'm there on Substack. I'm also fed up with COVID. I did a lot of interviews on my channel with COVID dissidents, AIDS dissidents. Um, I can't take it anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm until here about the story. And I won't talk about COVID, I think, for the next two years again. I am, you know, unless somebody asks me. I mean, I, I don't want a casual conversation, but I'm, I'm through with it. Um, yeah, so those are primarily the places. I write for QLED with Joel Kotkin. So I do a lot of work with Joel. Joel is an amazing writer and he's a... Um, it's an amazing mentor as well, a historian. Um, good book is written as well. So that's what I've been doing. And then um, other than that, yeah, I, I would prefer if people don't follow me you know, sometimes. All right. Well, for the people that do want to follow you, they could, they'll find you on, on Twitter, uh, Substack, uh, Odyssey. I'll include the link in the, in the description. Uh, and as you said, you also write for uh, Killette. Um, and so, yeah, thank you for being on Geopolitics and Empire. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and I encourage you to sign up for the free email list that goes out with each podcast and every weekend with a collection of news headlines. The newsletter and website are our last lines of defense. We're being censored and deplatformed. It's nearly impossible to find Geopolitics and Empire on the Google search engine. We've been blacklisted. YouTube frequently takes down our videos with strikes, Facebook restricts our page, Reddit and Twitter take down posts, and after the Associated Press mentioned geopolitics and empire in a 2021 article co-written with NATO, our Patreon account was terminated. Vimeo also terminated our pro account. The best free way to help geopolitics and empire is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and subscribe to all of our media channels. You can find the video broadcast now on five platforms, Odyssey, Rockfin, Rumble, BitChute, and Brighteon. You can find the audio broadcast on the podcast ecosystem, SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, and so on. My current favorite social media channels are Twitter and Telegram, but you can also find us on Gab, MeWe, Minds, Float, VK, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Finally, Geopolitics and Empire is in dire need of funding to continue. You can leave a donation, purchase a consultation with the host, or become a member to receive additional benefits. We also produce a weekly broadcast called Dissident Thinker for members and Rockfin subscribers only. We will continue to fight the good fight come hell or high water. Thank you for listening.